If you got a chance to see the cover story, uh, which was about un-nepotism or no nepotism in fashion, we had two people as a part of the story who have been stalwarts in the industry and uh, the legendary designer Ravi Bajaj, who has made his mark over the years and set the tone for the generations to come. And within that generation is someone from his family, his nephew, in fact, Vikram Bajaj, who has started his own label. Welcome to this podcast and thank you so much, both of you, for taking time out for this. Thanks, Bharat. Thanks for having us again. So I'm going to start with uh, you, Ravi. You know, you started in the industry at a time where fashion was not a career option, especially for boys. How difficult was it to make a place for yourself at that time? Bharat, um, you know, we're talking now uh, mid-80s and uh, the, the only... Uh, so-called fashion school in at least Delhi used to be the Delhi Polytechnic for women. Uh, therefore, you know, it meant that actually nobody was expecting for a boy to take up uh, fashion as a career, as simple as that. So therefore, when I sort of initially uh, floated the idea with my family, well, I would say they were shocked, but they always saw a bit of a flair in me when it came to dressing up and you know, I was quite quite a, a snazzy dresser, if I may call myself that. Um, so they weren't completely taken aback, but yeah, and they were kind of supportive as well. But yes, to, to relatives and friends and other people, it was quite a strange career choice to have made that I want to be a fashion designer. Most people thought, you know, that it's being actually, you're going to study to be a glorified tailor. Right. And, you know, if at that time, 
um, as rightly put by you, people would have boutiques or go to a tailor and it was an industry led by women back then. Opportunities were limited and access was limited. Now, Vikram, for you, when opportunities are galore and avenues are plenty, when you decided to go to fashion school, did you also feel a sense of it is still a female-dominated uh, profession in terms of people assuming that women uh, are meant to do fashion and for men, it is still not a core or a preferential choice of profession? Or do you think that it was open and, you know, you were well accepted and you had plenty of classmates who were willing to study design? So when I thought of design and studying fashion, by that time, of course, there was a drastic change from uh, Ravi's time. But still, I would say if we, as I told you before, there, in, especially in fashion design, not in retail and management, where the ratio would be, you know, equal or there would be more boys. In fashion, and I still, I think in a batch of 60 students, we were about 10 of us who were boys. So, you know, still wasn't a very to-go course for every boy to do. So that was the change but still it was a different but i'm guessing now it's changed and more people and more boys especially want to do this and take up a creative uh, course as well other than just doing numbers and marketing and retail Vikram, do you feel that because at that time your father supported ravi to make that career choice and he took that risk set up a structure that today Maybe the career may be equally difficult for you, but to voice the choice of career became easier for you. Yes, but definitely. I mean, that was a definitely an easier option to convince somebody's family I want to do fashion design in 2006 as compared to 80s. Yes, that was drastically uh, easy step, and especially for us because we were already in the business and. Uh, doing it but having said that when i said i wanted to do fashion design nobody said that okay do it or nobody said that vikram you should study fashion so it was my own calling and and i was asked that are you sure you want to do this because it's not an easy ball game you want to enter and you have the nag for it then that's the only reason you should go for it and that's why i met a couple of people Ravi made me a couple of people in the industry who asked me again that vikram are you sure you want to do this and why, why do you want to do it? So, you know, I had a couple of those meetings and I was always into drawing or more creative or artistic things than study. So I thought, yes, this is my calling and that's why I went for it. Agreed. And for you, uh, Ravi, you know, as a family, when you have taken that step and you've built yourself and you've established yourself, in a way, you've set a legacy to be taken forward. When, uh, you know, uh, Vikram, as a young boy sort of followed you or you saw that, you know, that slight interest in him in fashion, uh, you know, he uh, he sort of, uh, he had sown the seed to get into design. Was that something that as an uncle sort of made you happy or gave you that little hope that, you know, there is someone who will carry on the legacy that I have created in this industry? Bharat, uh to be frank, initially when initially when he you know uh, uh, bounced that idea or came up with an idea that he wants to uh, study fashion, my response was uh, almost sort of negative or what I say discouraging. And simply the reason for that is that what happens in our country is that there is a herd mentality. So 
you know, when in the 70s, everybody wanted their sons and daughters to become doctors. Then in the 80s, they wanted them to become chartered accountants and so on and so forth. So there tends to be a herd mentality with Indians. That's for sure. And so many, you know, friends and, and people around would come and say, my daughter wants to be a fashion designer. My son wants to be a fashion designer. You know, my bloody grandmother wants to be a fashion designer. So fashion designer became like a, you know, the flavor of the, of, of the week. And so I was, you know, I wanted to make sure that he's not just, you know, uh, jumping into the bandwagon for the heck of it. So I was initially uh, dissuading him, perhaps maybe sort of sessing him out, prodding him that is it really something that he wants to do genuinely or is it because, you know, hey, you know, it's all there. So let me just jump right into it. So that's the reason I wasn't initially very forthcoming. But then with this persistence and I saw that, you know, that's what that's what he, he wants to do. And so then after that, it was his calling and he, you know, he did pretty much did it on his own. You know, we were always there for him. But yes, I'm, I'm not going to say that I, I was uncle who was jumping at the idea. Also, I'm not somebody who believes in legacies. I don't believe in that. My legacy would be, I think, I don't know, uh, <laughs> perhaps rested with me. Okay. But yes, if now that he's, you know, come a long way and if he, if he takes it forward, whether it's Ravi Bajaj as a brand or whether it's Victim Bajaj or something else tomorrow, Whatever he wants to do, yeah, it'll be it'll be nice to see if Ravi Bajaj brand survives Ravi Bajaj himself. Right. When it comes down to making career choices, like you said, you know, you wanted to make sure that Vikram wanted to get into a field um, that he wanted to sustain himself in, which in effect means that it wasn't a very uh, nepotized decision in that sense, because the obvious thing would be to start training Vikram or sort of mentally tuning him or for him to take it for granted that this is what he's going to get into eventually. Vikram, um, you or you obviously work with Ravi as well, but you've also created a label of your own, which aesthetically is very, very different from what Ravi Bajaj does. Was that a conscious decision of you to uh, articulate your own design aesthetic in your own way and to branch out on your own? As, as I told you before, after finishing college, I joined work with Ravi and our first project was creating a full wardrobe for Mr. Amitabh Bachchan and that was really exciting for me and that got me to work the first day. So, And five years later, that after that, I re- in between that time, I realized that, you know, to put my own uh, ink and, uh, you know, mind on the page and on the clothes too will have to be a different label. That is when the idea of Ikram Bajaj came to me. It was never planned in college or before that, you know, it just happened because it was the need of the hour. Obviously I had this huge label to work under and I did that and I interned somewhere else. I interned with him and then I started work with him. Then I realized, okay, why not do what I really want to do? And that can only be done under my label because if I start start doing that, that wouldn't make sense to the sensibility of the brand Ravi Bajaj. So that's how uh, you know Vikram Bajaj was born. Being an established designer and then someone from your family entering the same business, whether or not in their own capacity, do you think that in effect Vikram had it easier, or do you think that in current times 
each designer has to set a standard on their own and he independently has had his own journey of what uh, may have come through you being a family member but not necessarily because of you i would say that actually he didn't have that much of an advantage because like i said you know i was initially a bit dismissive of the idea so that's the reason i initially you know in fact may have even been a little little bit too rough with him you know to say that forget it i somewhere had a had a feeling for a while that you know as a career choice it's not very lucrative it's not very lucrative except maybe two or three designers who have managed to grow to a reasonable size most of us haven't and that plays up in my psyche that you know it doesn't really make you a if, if i may be crude it doesn't make you a multimillionaire maybe that also has a bit of a bearing on my whole uh, attitude towards fashion fashion design yeah but yeah he he does have certain advantages i mean you know he didn't have to uh, you know hunt for a pattern maker or he had some infrastructure which was there for him to use but i didn't make it too easy for him i can tell you that <laughs> <laughs> so i never felt it was a pressure of course firstly i had the pros and cons of him being there for me so the pros definitely was that since as a kid as you know i'm i'm as old as the label is so i've always i've grew up seeing fashion shows and a lot of being in the industry and seeing all of that and a lot of youngsters especially 30 years back or 25 years back wouldn't get to see so many fashion weeks and fashion shows and all of that so yes i had an option of seeing fashion first hand and uh, when somebody comes to my store i think it just plays as a positive part i would say that somebody knows that okay if you know like let's say somebody is going to an armani exchange and not emporio armani or dodger armani they know this is from the same house of fashion and they can receive uh, the same kind of infrastructure quality and uh, craftsmanship and and they know which is trustworthy brand even if it's a new one agree now in terms of access back then ravi um, you know like you've mentioned even in the story you know there were barely any fashion magazines especially the international kind and that came at a very high cost so as someone who's starting off information is limited whereas um, vikram of course had a source of information sitting at home uh, who could guide and help and of course with the advent of technology the internet social media the amount of information that comes to vikram today is much more than what you had at that time do you consider this as a boon or a bane because back then because you didn't have access to so much information everything was very creatively driven from within you or do you think that today's designers actually get inspired so much that almost everything in the market may reach saturation and look almost the same well bharat you know i think it's it's a double edged sword too much exposure can lead to a sense of replicating things you know if you all bombarded with the same imagery then you know you all your your responses are also similar we didn't have that much imagery we didn't have that that much exposure in that sense and therefore you had to just had no choice sit on the on your table and with a with a paper and a pencil and imagine and try and do something which obviously was quite individualistic so if you see designers my my contemporaries we are very different in our styles very very different now they may seem like they are all doing the same thing because perhaps they also have now a team of young designers 
and that team uh, you know comes from the same pool and therefore they have similar thought process and similar ideas and similar inspirations so now you can see that there is a bit of overlap but if you see the first 10 years of my generation of designers we all had a very very different look and very very different ethos completely you know yeah so it's a double edged sword these guys have a lot of uh, information access to a, you know a lot of uh, imagery but they also have access to a lot more uh, uh, resources in terms of fabrics in terms of you know beads and and what have you which we didn't you know we had no we had nothing so uh, that was a disadvantage at that time and these guys have the advantage of having you know all italian french whatever fabric you want sitting here you know no need to even travel so that's that's the advantage they have vikram do you think that if you did not have ravi bajaj as a designer in the family that may have led you to choosing another career option or do you think that you were so innately creatively driven towards fashion that irrespective of a family member in this profession you would have ideally in any way landed up over here i feel bharat i would let's say if not uh, in fashion i would definitely be in design maybe as designing something else graphics i don't know architecture interior fashion print because that was my calling even in school when i had no idea what fashion was i was you know drawing on my table so that had nothing to do with my family or my inclination towards fashion or my future so you know that would have been my calling anyway somewhere as an artist or in design something to do with design thank you so much uh, ravi bajaj and vikram bajaj for taking time out for this conversation i've had a pleasure discussing not only the idea of nepotism in fashion but also the idea of men in fashion thank you for taking fashion forward and thank you for making a mark in the industry thank you bharat thank you thank you so much thank you so much see i will eat almost anything that's fried yeah my diet is that unhealthy and then you add seafood to the mix and it's a whole new explosion of flavors a portion of fried tempura brightens up my day more than pakoras i'm sorry but it's true and i love my mom's version of fried fish which is the bengali style that she makes uh sure that it's uh, extra spicy on my request I'm not a big fan of the Amritsari variant but uh, give me beer battered fish or squid and it's the perfect go to with any drink alcoholic or not Here's what HD brunch columnist Veer Sangvi has to say about fried seafood Okay so here's a couple of quick quiz questions Fish and chips is yes you know English Tempura is yes you know Chinese? No, it's not. It's like Japanese, actually. But golden fried prawns—the stuff you get at Chinese restaurants—that must be Chinese, actually, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Yes and no. All of them are a little complicated. Let's take fish and chips. The truth is, fish and chips is a relatively recent dish, as far as the Brits are concerned. It was introduced to England by Portuguese Jews. and the brits slowly adapted it or stole it depending on your perspective and given the posh of stealing things from other countries 
When it comes to tempura, the Portuguese are involved too, but it's more complicated because there is no Japanese tradition of frying, of deep frying, certainly. And the view is that the Portuguese taught it to them. Except, and here's the problem, there is no Portuguese tempura tradition either. So how? So one theory is that when the Portuguese went to Japan, they went from Goa and they took Indian cooks with them. Now, there is an Indian tradition of deep frying. And if you think about it, what is tempura? It's essentially a pakoda, right? So did our cooks teach it to the Japanese? And what about golden fried prawns? You get it virtually every Indian Chinese restaurant. It's a wonderful dish if it's made properly. But is it a Chinese dish? I was told it was from Sichuan. So two years ago, I went to Sichuan. I went from restaurant to restaurant. And I said, give me golden fried prawns. And they said, give you what? They'd actually never heard of them. So is it also an Indian dish, which tempura may be? Are we perhaps the kings of this kind of pakoda type dish? I don't know, but it's worth thinking about. You should say India, not just nation of curry, but nation of pakoda. What are some of the things that kept you going during the lockdown? For me, I have to begin with first, of course, the job with HT Branch, which really gave me a boost early into the lockdown. Besides that, a lot of cooking uh, by, you know, asking my mom to send me recipes, looking up a few online and experimenting with them. And I found it quite therapeutic. Then there was binge watching a gazillion things and rewatching some of my old favorites like uh, Gilmore Girls and reading. Strangely enough, apart from going um, to the Harry Potter series for comfort read, um, I've been... Uh, indulging in a lot of murder mysteries and the likes. Well, I guess with the pandemic outside, being locked away at a resort in the hills is a dream. Even if there's a serial killer on the loose, because I think I have read enough to not get murdered. All this aside, um, I mean, there was also a lot of online therapy. Anyway, HD Branch columnist Seema Goswami has her own list that you should listen on for. So it's been about a year since we first went into a COVID-induced lockdown. As anniversaries go, this one is pretty grim, mostly because the virus is still here, alive and well, and kicking our ass. After a brief period during which cases went down, the counts are going up every day, thanks to the various variants that are spreading rapidly among the population. Even as we struggle to see light at the end of this particular tunnel, I think we should pause and give thanks for what sustained us as we live through a pandemic. Well, here's what I am grateful for, for this past year. First up is my book project. If I hadn't had a writing project to focus on, I think the enforced isolation of the past year would have driven me mad. But when the lockdown began, I was halfway through writing the sequel to my political thriller. It's called Race Coast Road, in case you want to pick up a copy, when COVID struck. So I could use the time that I was sequestered at home to concentrate on finishing my book. And that's what I did, spending every afternoon hunched over my laptop. I'm happy to report that I'm all done now, and my new novel will be out by the end of the year. By when, with luck, COVID will have run its course and I can actually promote it in person rather than on Zoom. Well, here's hoping anyway. The other thing that 
sustained me was reading and that's where my kindle came in handy even when i couldn't go out and buy new books i could always download them on my kindle and keep my interest going the other thing that i wouldn't have managed without is taking little mini breaks getting away from home even if we just went to things that were a drive away from delhi i haven't spent as much time exploring jaipur and agra as i did during this year and then there were the walks in the park that kept me going sundar nursery lodi garden nehru park i've never been quite so grateful to live in delhi which if anything can be described as a city of parks game of thrones the series sure we were all watching every episode with bated breath till the second last season and then the show lost the plot but that has nothing to do with its music which is now iconic and extremely popular so much so that our recent ht branch social media star of the week rishab rikiram sharma played a version of it on his sita which went viral we got the 22 year old musician to play a rendition for you hope you like it and happy easter hey guys my name is rishab rikiram sharma i'm a sitarist and a music producer from new york city and today i would like to present two songs from game of thrones one is called reigns of kashmir and the other one is the original theme song of the series i hope you'll enjoy it thank you
Thank you and have a great Sunday brunch. The weekend is when you take a break from a hectic week whether it's work from home or work from work. It's also a day to develop perspective on things by not just consuming news but also analyzing it by listening to different points of views and figuring out what you feel about it. We hope we've been able to do just that with today's HD Brunch podcast. Feel free to give us feedback and suggestions on HD Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or DM us directly at HD Brunch on Instagram and Twitter. To listen to more podcasts, log on to hdsmartcast.com or suno nay nazariye se. I will see you back here next weekend with another dose of entertainment that keeps things real. Till then, happy brunching guys. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.